0: Thank you for listening to the audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see some faces. I feel like I haven't seen in a while. It's good to have Ronnie back with us this morning and Brad, Jacqueline, some some good faces to see again. I haven't seen some of you guys, so when you're not here, your presence is missed. We're going to be in the book of Malachi this morning. It's the last book in the Old Testament, right before you get to the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. So if you're new and not familiar with your Bibles, there's some place around the room you can grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to make that Bible your gift, or our gift to you, I should say. Take that home, write your name in it. And this morning we're going to be in the book of Malachi. Give you guys a second to turn there. We're going to be in Malachi chapter one, verses six through fourteen this morning, and next week we're going to cover all of chapter two. And so we've titled this uh, the series "Empty Religion," because what we have, uh, uh, what what we are going to see, and even started to see last week, is that Malachi was a prophet, and his name means "my messenger." Where we don't know a lot about Malachi, I believe the the purpose of that is for this, is because we're not supposed to focus so much on the author and what we know about malachi but the intent was what, what was in his name my messenger means that we're supposed to focus on god's message that he gave through the prophet malachi and so where, where we're called to zero in on and look at is the message that malachi gives and what we see is this interesting dialogue that takes place malachi is a book that is filled with questions it's written in this dialogue type structure and i believe that it's calling us to do this is to reflect on our own hearts Malachi looks at the past, he looks at the present, but he is also looking to the future and to the promised hope of the Messiah. And so, the book of Malachi is a book that comes in, starting today, with a pretty good punch. And it's a bit of, a, of getting straight down to the point... But we have to know and understand what it was built off of from looking last week at the foundation of Malachi, which we'll look at in just a second. Church family, I will be honest with you guys this morning and say this, is that uh, I wrote my sermon like I normally do on Thursday and uh, completed my sermon, my, my, my rough outline, and that's typically my process. And then I read through that on Saturday evenings, and I read it last night, and I was like, man, this is bad. Real bad. <laughs> like anyone that has to endure this, is even as I'm, I'm reading it, I feel bad for them. And so that's that's where I was at. And so this morning I was like, I got to redo this bad boy. So I wrote it, I wrote a new outline, and then I was like, this is worse. And so that's that's where we're at today. So so welcome if you're new with us this morning. So to to use a sports analogy, uh, I'll say this is that uh as as preachers you feel the weight you at least want to try to hit like a double you know in baseball and so uh as brian wakefield often says today might be more of a bunt or sometimes the kids that were just horrible they were they were praising when they got walked so they could even be on base so maybe today's more of a walk but we'll celebrate that god is faithful that god speaks to us that his word is true and so as best as i can through the spirit's help i will preach god's word and trust for him to do the work in his faithfulness so let's pray Father, we thank you for this day, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for that fact, that uh, that God, you are a God who has spoken. You speak to us through your word, your word is true, your word is the truth. Jesus, you are the truth, the way and the life. And so I pray that we walk out of here with a bigger understanding, Father, of who you are, the way that you've worked throughout history, the way that you have provided for, chosen saved and redeemed the nation of Israel, but also how you've provided that same salvation to us through Jesus Christ. I pray we would walk out of here with a heart that celebrates. Father, we realize that there's a ton of bad news right now in our country. Realize that there's people in Ohio that are grieving, that there's people in Texas that are grieving this morning. And Father, I think sometimes our response to that is to come up with a political need that we need to move and shift and change. The reality is is we live in a world that is broken because it's filled with broken people and we have the greatest hope in the message of the gospel. So I pray as a church what we gather around what we surround ourselves with, saturate ourselves with, and and what we are first, um, what we first offer to people is the love of Christ shown fully in the gospel of Christ. And so we pray for everyone here this morning that, Father, you would speak to us. Spirit, we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. I had a lot of reservation e- even sharing uh, this story. It is, uh, as I shared a few weeks ago, this is, this is a pre Jesus moment for, for Rick, not one that I'm overly proud of. So it's good to preface the story with that pre Jesus. I was at a fine establishment in the town I grew up in, which is Roseburg. We'll just leave the fine establishment blank. So I was at this fine establishment, and uh, there was a guy there who was uh, consistent, uh, or who, who, who was insistent on, on, uh, on fighting me. And uh, I did not want to fight, and I uh, did not do what he was accusing me of doing. And so, but he kept coming up to me and saying something to me, and so... I said that I'm going to count to three, and he said I was grabbing his butt, which I never did. Just want to say that. So, <laughs> that's, a, that's a true story. That's what he was saying. And so I was, I was really, I was just really confused. And so, found out later that my friend was, but um, true story. A- and uh, and so I I, 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 said, uh, I, I said I said I don't I don't want to do this. So, so I'm going to count to three. So I made it to one, and uh, then I, uh, I I hit him like with a karate chop in his throat. <laughs> 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 yeah pre Jesus again so I did that and then I walked away and I was like okay so t- so today people even ask they're like hey if, if you got into an exchange what would you do And I was like I've seen the throat punch it's worked so I'd probably just lead with that in a self-defense situation that's what that's that's what I would probably do uh, and 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 here's the reality Is that when we look at the book of malachi today and what we're looking at today it's kind of like that but where pre-jesus rick did something like that and just turned and walked away what 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 what, what's offered to us post life death and resurrection of jesus is the good news and so if you don't hear good news today stick around till the end because i want you to hear the good news that's offered to us in the gospel because it is going to be a bit of a a, 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 of the throat punch today where you're just kind of like like that and, and not sure how to respond because really God's wasting no time through this prophet, through the book of Malachi, to dive right in and, and start examining what's going on in the life and the hearts of people. And it's just not an easy message or an easy pill to swallow. So with that, let's dive in to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. And I want this to be the main point today. Since this is a lot of questions that Malachi is asking, 10 questions in chapter 1, I want us to wrestle with this question. Is I'm uncomfortable even saying this what is God worth what is God worth I'm uncomfortable saying that because any Christian would say well God is worth everything I mean we, we 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 live and dwell and abide on an on a planet that he created that's his own we borrow his air we borrow His sunlight everything that's here is his he's given it as a gift not just to the church but to all of creation so God is worthy of all praise he's worthy of everything and when we talk about worship then the word worship actually comes from an uh, old word that, that, that means worth and then ship. And what it actually means is what do we ascribe our worth to? So, what are we ascribing our worth to? When we think of worship, we think of uh, Caleb or Mark and the worship team up here leading worship. But it actually, all of our lives are meant and intended to be worship because every day, all day, we're ascribing our worth to something. And so today I want us to wrestle with this question is, what is God worth? And and, and more to get to the heart layer, what do do our hearts and therefore our actions actually show what we believe that God is worth when it comes to worship? So let's look here. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Okay, so first, right out of the gate, as we get into this passage, we have to remember what last week was and what the foundation for the book of Malachi is, is verse 2. I have loved you. As one translation reads, I have always loved you. The only way that we can actually start to inspect our hearts and have the safety to do that is if we understand God's covenantal love that He makes with us. The, the, the safety of, of, of God's love is what allows us to examine what's really in our hearts. When we know of God's grace, which we titled the sermon last week, Grace is Not Fair. When we know and understand god's love and god's grace then we're not building our life on the shaky foundation of our love for god but instead god's love for us and then so as we get to verse 6 today and and we start to get into into some of these we have to remember that and start to wrestle with some of this but it's god saying hey if a father gets honor from a son and a master from a servant he's asking this question he's like where is my honor and where is my fear which fear here means reverence Says the Lord of hosts, says, says the Lord of the armies of angels to you. And now we see that he's talking to priests, it says in, in verse 6, he says, O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? So here goes this dialogue right here, first conversation. How have we despised your name? Despise here means uh, insignificance. And so whatever they're doing is, is stating that God is insignificant. so here goes this conversation and I think this might be helpful for us is if you are a parent and as your kids get older then this is what happens you start to have these conversations with your children right and this is what happens you state, uh you state something like hey you are not respecting and honoring your mother and father right now in, in, in any sort of way, you, you, you are not respecting us, the people that have given you life, the people that are providing food for you and taking care of you, and the, the child responds back, how are we not respecting you or showing honor to you, right? And then you say, take a look at your room. It's a mess. I asked you to clean your room and it's still a mess how and and and, and then goes the question how's my room still a mess i cleaned it didn't i well i asked you to put your clothes away how've i not put my clothes away the parent goes in there and sees that the clothes are just piled up in a heap or thrown underneath the bed this is this is very similar this dialogue to a conversation like this that a parent might have with their child but here's the thing we are the child in this scenario we are not the parent and so when we look at this we need to see that this is us these are the types of questions that we ask the, the the lord is saying where's my honor where's my reverence where's where's my fear you despise my name and then the israelites god knowing what's in their heart, say how have we despised your name and yes he's talking to priests here but contextually first uh, in, in, in first peter 2 5 it says this that, that that those who are children of god are now a holy priesthood and so this, this is for us, for, for for 21st century Christians, this is for us. And we see that the Lord answers the question in verse 7. Look at this. How have you despised? How have we despised your name? He he tells them. By offering polluted food upon my altar, uh, altar. Which, which means this: by offering blemished, unclean food upon my altar. And then goes the second question: but you say, How have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, look, look at this, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Notice what the Lord says. He says this, when you offer stuff to me, and you're offering your blind and your lame and your sick animals, he says that's not just a uh, j- just a bad choice and immoral decision. He actually calls it evil. Is that not evil? What's what's taking place is this: that Israel is offering to God their leftovers, their second best. That's what they're telling God he's worth. Is we'll just give you what we have left over. we we, we have we have the unblemished animals. We have the really good stuff, but we're just going to give you our leftovers because. Functionally, we actually don't believe that you're worth getting all of it. As the brilliant scholar Osborne Ocampo said, it's like this. It's like offering someone a lemon LaCroix when you have berry in your refrigerator. It's like offering someone the two-buck chuck when you have the nice bottle. And he goes on to say this. Look here toward the end of verse 8 after he calls us evil he says hey, try, try this out try presenting this to your governor will he accept you or show you favor says the lord of hosts so he's saying go take this leftovers and give it to your governor and see what he thinks of that would he accept it if you're not willing to even give something like this your leftovers to a governor then how would you bring it to, to the Lord of hosts, to the God Almighty, to the God who has saved you, the God who has redeemed you, the God who has provided for you, the God who's given you a family? Look at verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God, that He may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will He show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts you know what's going on here is they're saying this let's butter god up let's butter god up let's entreat him let's 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 provide something for him let's butter him up so he gives us blessing and gives us favor but what they're willing to do is just give god their second best and what they expect from giving god their second best is for god to bless them and here's the reality if we can start to examine now and say this do we do this In life, when things go awry, when when, when bad circumstances hit, do we start to say, okay, God, I want a blessing and I want some favor. I want something to go right in my life. Things are a mess right now. I'm a mess. My family's a mess. Marriage is a mess. My job is a mess. My personal life is a mess. Whatever it is, it's a mess. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm going to crack open my Bible, give you five minutes, and now what I want you to do is bless me. I don't know if you've been noticing, God, but I've been spending two or three minutes in prayer in the morning. And I downloaded the Verse app where I get one a day. Expect a little bit of blessing here. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I've been going to church. Been doing it for three weeks in a row. Expecting a little bit of blessing here. And here's the thing. The reality is is that we can laugh and joke about this, but when circumstances come up, what we will do is we will make, we will do stuff like that. But do you know, we will give God a few minutes of our day, a few minutes of our time, a few minutes of our resources. But the reality is, we'll watch an entire series, guilty, on Netflix, and then say, God, what I got for you is three minutes. Move. Work. Give me a blessing. God, I, I, I've spent all this time for this church. This is going to be the throw punch, one of them. Is even this, we, 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 when we show up to church on a Sunday morning, what does our heart say about our preparation coming into that? We will prepare for job interviews. We will come into those things prepared. We typically won't show up for something like that, but when we come into the Lord's house to worship Him, we'll say, we can just be late for something like that. Look at what this jaw-dropping response is to this in verse 10. I think it's the most jaw-dropping out of this, possibly this whole book. Maybe if you understand the gravity in the Old Testament. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. That you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. What is being said here? The Lord says that I, I wish there was just one of you who would actually just shut the doors of the temple. You would just close that thing down. It's hard for us to grasp in the 21st century what is being communicated here. But this is equivalent to, in some sense, this still falls short. God's saying that I wish that every church door in the world would be shut down. Only this falls short because the temple was used for Israel for sacrifices, for forgiveness, for feasts, for festivals, and for offerings. But even more so, the temple was the center of national banking and it was used for Jewish political power. It was a major part of their existence. And so when we understand what's being communicated here, God is saying that, that, that I'm so repulsed by what's going on here. It is so gross to me that I wish that someone would just come in and just shut it down. Because I would rather have no worship than vain worship. I would rather have no offerings than you guys coming with your second best and saying that this is what you're worth, God. Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, the city where Barnhouse pastored, all of the bars would be closed pornography banished and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other there would be no swearing the children would say yes sir and no ma'am and the churches would be filled every Sunday where Christ is never preached what it's saying is this is you can you can you can play the religious role you can look the religious part you can go through all of the religious emotions but you can be absolutely dead on the inside the book of Malachi Do you know what it's doing the book of Malachi is actually getting to the heart where God cares. Not just the motions or the actions in which you do, and and in fact, this is if you look at Jesus's ministry, this is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come in like many people believe and reinterpret the law. He actually gave the law's proper interpretation that had been misinterpreted by the religious leaders. You see what what had happened is the religious leaders came along and 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 said what we can do is 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 basically check these boxes and make these boxes that we can check to merit favor with God but Jesus came in and said you actually are misunderstanding what murder is murder is hating someone in your own heart adultery is lusting after a woman why because Jesus was going after heart issues David understood this Psalm 51 He says, if it was just offerings you wanted, God, I could could bring that. Many in the church culture today ask these questions. What what can I do in my my Christian relationship sexually? How much can I drink? These are the common questions that pastors honestly get asked. Do you know what what that question says? What can I get away with? I like what John Piper he says he says you're asking the wrong question how can I glorify and honor God with everything that God has given me and the reality is is let's ask this question what do our time and our resources the gifts that God has given us even the finances that God has placed us as stewards over what does it all say about what we think about God's worth how we use it for the kingdom of God do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness what is what are these things that God has placed in our hands saying i think of a story of a pastor a young pastor who was pastoring a younger congregation and 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 they were losing their place this is a true story they were losing their building and so they talked to an older pastor had an older congregation down the the road that was just dissipating and he said hey our church is growing and we need a place to meet could 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 we use your guys's building Pay lease, pay rent, something like that, and the older pastor and their older congregation said, "No, you're not going to do that with our building." And the younger pastor replied, "It's not your building. Actually, it's God that He's given you to be a faithful steward over, and one day you will give an account for how you were how how you have stewarded the building that God has given you." I was like, "Whoa!" But I think that's true. That it's not just what we do; it's the heart and the intent behind what we're doing. And we see that heart and intent behind our time and behind our resources that God has given us. Look here in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. So what what God is saying here is is this is not happening right now with the nation of Israel, but it will happen one day beyond the nation of Israel. That when the uh, Messiah comes, there will be more people beyond this nation that, is, uh, that are going to offer pure offerings. goes on to read the end of verse 11 there. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say again, look at this. What a weariness this is. And you snorted it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, he says, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's say this. Psalm 139, David says, search me, O God, and know my ways, right? Let's do this right now. I'm, I'm just going to ask some questions, church family, and, and, and I want us to do that. I, I want the Spirit to search us and search our hearts for why we do stuff and why we're doing what we're doing because the text the Word of God calls for that this morning this self-reflection and this examination because there's people that are profaning the name of God that are snorting at what God says to do and they're considering it just drudgery to do this so let me ask just just a series of questions this morning why do you come to church on Sunday morning why do you open the Word of God and pray or in read, and why do you pray have you become bored with God has God become a dull bore to you it's what's taking place here are you amazed by God are you amazed by what God has done Or do you just do the things that you do without giving thought to them? And in all reality, are you doing it just because you feel guilty if you don't do it? Why do you do what you do? What is the heart motive behind what you do? What do you do with your time? What do you do with these things? And then let me ask this. Because he says in verse 13... That you actually have this perfect lamb, ram. Verse 14, he says that, but you're not giving it. He says in 13 that you snort at these things and you consider it weary. Where do you put God with your time and your finances? Which category? I'm going to read some things. There's, there's, there's the money category where you, where you spend your money on good food, good wine, good coffee, sports, a new car, a new home and then we have the the category of things we don't like to spend money on parking tickets student loans bills car repairs and etc which category would you put God in And which category would your worth ascribe him worth through your finances let's also look at the category of time There's things that we like to do, like grabbing coffee with a friend, reading a good book, watching a good movie, watching sports, playing golf, doing our hobbies, and etc. Then there are things we don't like to do, like spending our time on a meeting, a parent-teacher conference, jury duty, household chores, flossing. Which category do you, listen, which category do you functionally, realistically put God in based upon what you tell Him that He's worthy of with what you do with the time that He's given you to steward? What does it say? Because, church, we can say that Jesus is our everything, but do our time and our checkbooks actually reflect that we are our own everything? It's sacrifice is only sacrifice if if you're actually sacrificing something. And do our lives show and display that there is a sacrifice with how we live? This is what God is getting at with the nation of Israel. And I believe this is still what we have to question today. We love to put bumper stickers on our car of fish. We love to put magnets on our refrigerators. But the reality is, 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 is what are we ascribing our daily lives of worship to? Through the time, through the resources, through everything God has given us, what are we saying that God is worthy of? I'll close with this. This passage does not end with, a, with good news. <laughs> but the reality is that we live on this side of the cross. And so I will say this, is that there is one man ever who lived in such a way that he could say this with, with, with his life. John eight twenty nine. Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen, for I always do what pleases him. There's one person that's lived and walked this earth that's offered up perfect worship to God. Did you know that everything that Jesus did every day was pleasing to God? The worship that he did stuff with, the, the, the way that he used the resources God gave him, every, everything that he did, he could say with full integrity, full integrity that everything I did was pleasing to God. And so here's where we stand as Christians. If we're being honest, we stand with a lot of vain sacrifices and with a lot of empty worship. The amount of worth that God is deserving of and worthy of and and, 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 and should be given to him, we don't give. And so here's what we do as Christians. We either look to what our hands can give and what we can do, or we look to nailed, scarred hands and what they have provided. You see, the the priests were corrupt. And so what we need is we need a better priest, a high priest, who offers a better sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect high priest who offers a better sacrifice, but he doesn't go and find a perfect spotless sacrifice somewhere else. He was the perfect spotless sacrifice. He became the perfect spotless sacrifice, and he offered himself as the perfect spotless sacrifice. And so what Christianity has and, 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 and what we have is this good news where we can end a sermon and go, my goodness, I have fallen short with how I've ascribed worth to God with my life. But what I have is this. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.15 I am a pleasing aroma to God because of Christ. It says this, for we are to God the pleasing realm of Christ among those who are being saved and who are perishing. When you leave here today and you smell something good, this week when you smell something good, what you can remember is this, is if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, it's not about what your hands have done. It's not about the sacrifices that you've offered. It's not about what you've provided, the work that you've done. It is about Christ always pleasing God and is about his nailed scarred hands. And we can remember this, that since our lives are hidden in him, that we are in a pleasing aroma to God right now, this day, every day, through faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, I'll read this verse, Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Read the story and then I'll close in prayer. The Archbishop of Paris Paris. Many years ago, he told the story of three young men who were traveling around Paris, indulging in all the sensual appetites that the city had to offer. They sampled the delicacies of sin, if you will, and at that end, and at the end of their night parading, around throughout the city they found themselves on the steps of the cathedral sprawled out in a drunken stupor as the sun rose the partygoers relived their escapades from the night before one of the men had the bright idea why don't we go inside and find a confessional booth we'll ask the priest to forgive us all of our sins that we committed by confessing them out loud they were going to do this in a blasphemous manner not seeking true forgiveness from God, believing this act would be the crowning glory of a night to remember. Invigorated by the laughter of his friends, one young man agreed to do it, and he volunteered himself. He walked in, into the chapel and requested the attention of a priest. He sat in the confessional booth and confessed his sins loudly, one after the other in lured detail. The confession was concluded with these words, I know all that you did for me, and I don't give a darn. The words were more colorful than that. The priest, realizing what was happening, stopped him and said this to him, Young man, I've heard enough. You don't need to confess anything else to me. If you would like to be forgiven of your sins, you only need to do one thing. Outside of the confessional are steps leading up to an altar. On the altar is a statue of Jesus on the the cross simply go to the statue kneel down at the steps look at Christ on the cross and say these words Lord Jesus I know all that you've done for me and I don't give a darn the boy if you can imagine was shocked so the priest repeated those words again to him you will be forgiven if you go outside look at the cross and say to the Lord Jesus I know all that you've done for me and I don't give a darn at this point the boy, now surprisingly sober, stumbled out of the confessional booth and into view, the view of his friends. Wondering how the priest had responded to the vulgar confession, his partners in crime watched their friend walk toward the steps. He knelt down on the stairs, looked up, looked up to Jesus, hanging on the cross, and said, Lord Jesus, I know all that you've done for me. Would you forgive me of my sins? The Archbishop of Paris said, I know this story is true because that story is of me when confronted to the rescue and what Christ has provided to the cross and the sacrifice that he gives it is hard to stare at that and become bored with God when we understand the rescue that he's provided our life's response is you are worthy of it all because you've given it all let's pray Father, I pray that we wouldn't be pulled this morning to look at what our hands have done. I pray that as we self-examine and reflect that we would be reminded of the good news, Jesus, of all that you've provided. I thank you that when you rose from the grave that you still had nails in, nail scars in your hands. And Lord, I believe that we'll be looking at those scars for all of eternity, being reminded constantly of the sacrifice that you made and that you paid. In Jesus' name, amen.